Welcome to the Professor English Podcast, where we don't just talk about English, we practice English. My name is Ryan, and I'm your host. Have you ever wanted to read an entire book in English? Have you ever thought about improving your English vocabulary through reading? If you answered yes to these questions, you're in the right place. In each episode of this podcast, we are going to explore the book, 1984, by George Orwell, paragraph by paragraph. First, I will read the paragraph. Then we will examine the contents of the paragraph to make sure the meaning is clear. And then we will do a fluency and listening comprehension exercise to practice some of the interesting expressions that we find in the paragraph. Sound good? Okay, before we start, I just want to remind you that if you prefer a little visual help, you can always access the video version of this podcast on my YouTube channel, Professor English ESL Class. Now, let's jump right in. Here is the first paragraph of Chapter 1 of 1984 by George Orwell. It was a bright cold day in April, and the clocks were striking 13. Winston Smith, his chin nuzzled into his breast in an effort to escape the vile wind, slipped quickly through the glass doors of Victory Mansions though not quickly enough to prevent a swirl of gritty dust from entering along with him. Most of that paragraph is pretty easy, but there are some tricky parts near the end, and we're going to talk about them in detail a little later. The first sentence, It was a cold day in April, and the clocks were striking 13 doesn't have any particularly difficult language or grammar. The word strike, which usually means like a hit, is used here to talk about the position of hands of a clock. Not modern digital clocks, but the old-fashioned clocks with moving mechanical hands. That sentence only means the hour was 13 or 1 p.m. Let's look at the next sentence. Winston Smith his chin nuzzled into his breast in an effort to escape the vile wind slipped quickly through the glass doors of Victory Mansions. Now we have encountered our first interesting word that you probably don't know. Nuzzle. The word nuzzle comes from the same word as nose. The word nuzzle is a verb. You can think of it as something you do with your nose. If you move your nose against something, either up or down or side to side, it is nuzzling. It's a very intimate movement, usually to show love or affection or comfort. You might nuzzle a baby. Move your nose against the baby's face to show love. When it's, a very, when it's very cold outside, you normally bring all of your, your body parts very close together to keep them warm. You might move your head down close to your shoulder. You might even move your chin against your shoulder 
to keep it warm or to protect your face from the cold. This action of moving your nose up against something is called nuzzling. In this case, Winston is using his chin, but it's the same part of the body, the head, and it's the same movement. Uh, and it's the same movement against another thing. It's a little up and down movement, or a side to side movement against something else. If you've experienced being in cold places, you might remember moving your head down against your shoulder or your chest. Here, Orwell uses the word breast, which is really just another word for the word chest, and raising part of your coat to protect your face. This creates a small, intimate, comfortable space for part of your face, and this is why he is using the word nuzzle. I hope you can now imagine what is meant by his chin nuzzled into his breast. Let's look at the next line to escape the vile wind. Vile is just another word for horrible. To me, it sounds much stronger than the word horrible. So the wind must have been very strong and very cold, which is why he nuzzled his chin into his breast. He slipped quickly through the glass doors of Victory Mansions. If your English is good enough to read a book like 1984, you probably already know the word slip. You might, you might know it in the sense of slippery, which is connected to a sliding movement with very little friction. Here it is used to mean he moved quickly, without friction, without hesitation. Slip into, a phrasal verb that means moving quickly. All right, what do we have so far? It's one o'clock, it's horribly windy, so cold Winston keeps his head down against his chest to protect his face from the weather. He went into the apartment building with a very quick action and no hesitation. Now let's look at the next line. Though not quickly enough to prevent a swirl of gritty dust from entering along with him. Let's, deconst let's deconstruct this, starting at the end, because the most interesting and useful part of this phrase is at the beginning, and it is what we are going to practice today. When Winston slipped into his apartment building, some dust entered with him, but it wasn't just any dust. It was gritty dust. Gritty is just another word for dirty, but it is a special kind of dirt. It's a dirt with little stones or little rocks, a rough kind of dirt, like sand. Because he's using the word gritty, you can imagine actually seeing little pieces of things flying in the air, very small pieces of sand or large pieces of dust. But it wasn't just gritty dust. It was a swirl of gritty dust. Swirl is a circular motion. It's a circular movement. It's big on the outside and becomes smaller and smaller on the inside. Imagine a tornado 
a tornado of gritty dust, a swirl of gritty dust, or imagine water going down a drain, how it moves in a circle, and it's big on the outside and becomes smaller and quicker on the inside, a swirl of water. Now let's look at the first part of the phrase, which I think will be the most interesting and useful part of this paragraph for you, and it's the part we're going to practice today. He moved through the glass doors, though not quickly enough to prevent the dust from entering too. The word though is a fairly common word in English, but it's neglected by learners of English because it can be used in confusing ways. In this sentence, the word though is used like the word but. Let's rephrase this sentence using but and adding a few extra words. He moved quickly through the door, but he didn't move quickly enough to prevent some dirt from entering with him. Okay, let's read the entire paragraph again, and let's rephrase it with very simple English. After that, we will practice using though, just like it's used in this paragraph. It's one o'clock, it's horribly windy and cold, so Winston keeps his head down against his chest to protect his face from the weather. He went into his apartment building with a very quick action. He was quick, but not sufficiently quick, and some of the dirt outside entered with him because of the wind. What do you think? Did we cover everything? If I missed anything, leave a comment and we can clarify it later. Now let's take a closer look at our target phrase today. He closed the door quickly, though not quickly enough to prevent a swirl of, uh, to prevent, he closed the door quickly, though not quickly enough to prevent the dirt from coming in. If you are not sure how to use the phrase not enough, it means not sufficient, not acceptable, or not satisfactory. Closing the door, even closing it quickly, was not sufficient. The dirt still entered with him. Let's practice though, and not enough, in sentences just like our model sentence. We have our friend John, he's hungry, so we give him a really big plate of food. So much food, he can't finish it. He is hungry, but not sufficiently hungry to finish the large plate of food. He is not hungry enough to finish the food. In this construction, we will use the infinitive form of the verb to complete our idea. This idea can be a little confusing, but don't worry, now we're going to practice using it and you can practice using it too. You will become more comfortable with the idea and how it works. Let's first start with a simple sentence. Lisa worked very hard. Lisa worked very hard. Lisa worked very hard. Let's ask a basic yes-no question with that sentence. Did Lisa work very hard? 
Did Lisa work very hard? Did Lisa work very hard? Did Lisa work very hard? Let's answer yes. Let's answer yes to that question, but we will add the word but at the end. Yes, Lisa worked very hard, but. Yes, Lisa worked very hard, but. Yes, Lisa worked very hard, but. Now let's present a problem. She didn't finish her project. Lisa worked very hard, but she didn't finish her project. Lisa didn't. Lisa worked very hard, but she didn't finish her project. So try to say everything together. Lisa worked very hard, but she didn't work. Lisa worked very hard, but she didn't finish her project. Okay. She didn't work hard enough. She worked hard, but it wasn't sufficient. She didn't work hard enough. Just repeat after me. Lisa worked very hard, but she didn't work hard enough. Lisa worked very hard, but she didn't work hard enough. Great job. Now let's change the word but to the word though. Lisa worked very hard, though she didn't work hard enough. Lisa worked very hard, though she didn't work hard enough. Super duper job. Now we're going to add some information, but, but before we do that, let's make the sentence less repetitive. We don't need to mention she and work two times. We just want to emphasize not hard enough. So instead of saying she worked very hard, though she didn't work hard enough, let's just say she worked very hard, though not hard enough. She worked very hard, though not hard enough. She worked very hard, though not hard enough. Okay, perfect. Now, Let's add more information. Why, why are we saying her work was not sufficient? What was the problem? What goal was not reached? We will add this phrase to the end of the sentence using the infinitive form of the verb. Here is her goal, to finish the project. To finish the project. She worked very hard, though not hard enough to finish the project. She worked very hard, though not hard enough to finish the project. She worked very hard, though not hard enough to finish the project. Wow, that is some amazing English. Now let's try another sentence. Mark did an amazing job. Mark did an amazing job. Mark did an, Mark did an, Mark did an amazing, did an amazing, Mark did an amazing job. Mark did an amazing job. How would you ask a basic yes-no question with that sentence? Did Mark do an amazing job? Did Mark do an amazing job? Let's agree. Let's say yes. 
but, yes, but, there was a problem. So, yes, Mark did an amazing job, but Mark did an, uh, Mark didn't, uh, <laughs> Mark did an amazing job, but now let's present a problem. It was amazing, but it was not sufficiently amazing. We're talking about his job, not Mark. So in our next sentence, we will start it with it and not he. Can you do it? Let's see. Mark did an amazing job, but it wasn't amazing enough. Mark did an amazing job, but it wasn't amazing enough. Mark did an na, uh, Mark did an uh, Mark did an amazing job, but it wasn't, but it wasn't, but it wasn't amazing enough. Mark did an amazing job, but it wasn't amazing enough. Now let's change the word but for the word though. Mark did an amazing job, though it wasn't amazing enough. Mark did an amazing job, though it wasn't amazing enough. Mark did an amazing job, though it wasn't amazing enough. Mark did an amazing job, though it wasn't amazing enough. Now let's make the sentence less repetitive. We don't need to repeat job, and we don't need the verb, which leaves us with just not amazing enough. How would you say that sentence? He did an amazing job, but not amazing enough. He did an amazing job, but not amazing enough. He did an amazing job, but not amazing enough. Let's add one more bit of information. What was the problem? What goal was not accomplished? Again, we will state the failed goal using the infinitive form of the verb to impress the clients. Can you say the entire sentence? He did an amazing job, but not amazing enough to impress the clients. But not amazing enough to impress the clients. He did an amazing job, but not amazing enough to impress the clients. Wow, you are doing an amazing job. But is it enough? Let's try another example. But before we do, let me ask you a question. Do you find these exercises helpful? If the answer is yes, you should subscribe to my podcast so you won't miss the next helpful episode. And if you are watching this on my YouTube channel, Professor English ESL Class, please hit the like button. It helps my channel so much and lets me know that you want to see more episodes like this one. Now, here is another sentence. Mary is angry. Mary is angry. Mary is angry. Mary is angry. How would you make a basic yes-no question with that sentence? Is Mary angry? Is Mary angry? Is Mary angry? Let's agree. Let's add a but at the, but. Let's add a but at the end of the sentence. 
but let's add a but <laughs> at the end of the sentence. Yes, Mary is angry, but. Yes, Mary is angry, but. Yes, Mary is angry, but. How would you add she is not sufficiently angry? She's not as angry as you would expect. She's angry, but she isn't angry enough. She's angry, but she isn't angry enough. Now let's change the word but. Let's use the word though. She's angry, though she isn't angry enough. She's angry, though she isn't angry enough. Now let's make the sentences less repetitive. We don't need to repeat she, and we don't need to repeat the verb, leaving us with only not angry enough. She's angry, though not angry enough. She's angry, though not angry enough. Here we don't really have a goal. In this situation, we want to say she's angry, but she will not go to the next usual step or next expected step of angry. So, you know, usually when people are angry, uh, at some point they may start screaming or fighting, but she's not going to go to that step. So she's not angry enough to do that. Okay. So when people get angry and you expect them to fight or argue, how would you add the idea that she is not angry enough to fight? She is not sufficiently angry to fight. She's angry, but not angry enough to fight. She's angry, but not angry enough to fight. She's angry, but not angry enough to fight. All right, super duper job. Let's do one more. And since this is our last one, let's play around with a word you might not know. Absent-minded. That's actually a phrase. Absent-minded means forgetful. If you say someone is absent-minded, it means that forgetting things is part of the person's character. John is absent-minded. He always forgets things. If you use the adverb form absent-mindedly, it means you're doing the action, but you are distracted. You are not concentrating on the action. You are not focused on the action. Your mind is in a different place. Here's an example. John left the house absent-mindedly. John left the house absent-mindedly. This means John left the house, but he wasn't concentrating on the process of leaving the house. Maybe he was thinking about an important meeting at work. Because he wasn't concentrating on leaving, he might have forgotten to lock the door. He might have forgotten his keys. He wasn't focused on the task he was doing. How would you make a basic yes-no question with John left the house absent-mindedly? John left the house absent-mindedly. Did John leave the house absent-mindedly? Did John leave the house absent-mindedly? 
let's agree. Let's say yes, but we'll, we will add a but at the end of that sentence. Yes, he left the house absentmindedly, but... He left the house absentmindedly, but... Now, let's say he didn't leave the house sufficiently absent-minded. He left the house absent-mindedly, but he didn't leave the house absent-mindedly enough. Now, this means he left the house and he was distracted, but he still remembered something very important. So he wasn't 100% distracted, he still was able to remember one very important thing. So he left the house absent-mindedly, but he didn't leave the house absent-mindedly enough. Okay, now let's change the word but to the word though. He left the house absent-mindedly, though he didn't leave the house absent-mindedly enough. It's pretty long. <laughs> Let's try that again. He left the house absent-mindedly, though he didn't leave the house absent-mindedly enough. Okay. Now, let's make the idea less repetitive. We don't really have to repeat he or leaving the house again. So let's reduce this from he didn't leave the house absent-mindedly enough to just not absent-mindedly enough. He left the house absent-mindedly, but not absent-mindedly enough. Oh, we're supposed to use though. <laughs> he left the house absent-mindedly, though not absent-mindedly enough. He left the house absent-mindedly, though not absent-mindedly enough. Because he wasn't sufficiently for forgetful, it means he remembered something important. Let's say he at least didn't forget to feed the dogs. Remember to use the infinitive form of the verb here. He left the house absent-mindedly, though not absent-mindedly enough to forget to feed the dogs. He left the house absent-mindedly, though not absent-mindedly enough to forget to feed the dogs. He left the house absent-mindedly, though not absent-mindedly enough to forget to feed the dogs. All right, super duper job. Okay, now let's look at the original phrase from 1984 again. It should be easier to understand now. Winston slipped quickly through the glass doors of Victory Mansions, though not quickly enough to prevent a swirl of gritty dust from entering along with him. He was fast, but not fast enough to prevent the dirt from coming in. To stop the dirt from coming in. Not fast enough. Okay, well it's been really fun practicing English with you today, and I hope to see you here again real soon. This is a rather experimental way of exploring English, and it takes a lot of work to make one of these podcasts. So if you want to see more videos or podcasts like this one, if you want more podcasts exploring English vocabulary and grammar using 1984 paragraph by paragraph, please leave a comment. Let me know that you find this helpful. 
But until then, I will see you in the next paragraph. Goodbye.